0: Hello, my name is Durian Hark, also known as Dea. I'm here with my co-host, Mariana Salem. Hello. We're two writers who love movies, television and books, especially when they're gay. And welcome to Gay V Club, where we look at LGBT texts that we like, but that we don't like and how we relate to them as gay people of colour. Happy New Year, guys.
1: Happy New Year.
0: Thank you for tuning in. If you like us, please write us to your friends, family, crush. We're on Twitter and Instagram at V underscore club. And we've also got a Patreon which is at patreon.com slash gayvclub where you can support us and get a bunch of little bonus episodes in return. Thanks so much to all our existing patrons and um, really just all of our listeners.
1: Yeah, we love you guys.
0: We do want to update more frequently this year. Yeah, yes. We promise. Just before we start as well, if you didn't hear on our previous episode, Mariana is going to be published in 2022 in a speculative fiction anthology called This All Come Back Now by University of Queensland Press. It's the first speculative fiction anthology made up of stories by all First Nations authors from so called Australia. Woo. So, in the description of our podcast, you're going to find some links there on where to pre-order
1: you will also find some links too
0: one of my poems is featured in this year's australian poetry anthology
1: Woo!
0: so yeah i'll I'll put some links about that too
1: congrats babe thank you
0: yeah so that's enough of our w's <laughs> today in fact we are we are joined by a special guest mm, uh, a,
1: a, a very special guest i will introduce them Yes, everyone, we've talked about this guest quite a lot on the podcast, but, you know, this is the first time they've actually been featured. And that special guest is the the virus, COVID-19. <laughs> Hello, uh, I have officially now been tested positive for COVID-19 for the Omicron, so it's not too bad. I have spent uh, the last week quarantined to my room, being vastly entertained by the internet, which is not too different from my normal daily routine, except for the not being allowed anywhere at all part. But if you uh, hear me sounding a bit nasally um, or a bit drained of energy, uh, it is not because I'm not having a good time. I always have the best time when I'm recording, but it is it's just because I have, you know, a virus, a very special virus, very, very special virus in my body.
0: Remember, it was at the start of last year we were recording our Doctor Who episode. You kept, like, clearing your throat and you kept coughing, and then I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, I, I think I have COVID. And at this point, like, we didn't actually know anything about COVID, and I just started crying and we had to stop.
1: Yeah. But now Yeah. But now it's fine.
0: It's not fine, but yeah.
1: (laughs) No, Yeah, now
0: we have some more info.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I just wanna say well I have my soapbox though. I mean, please everyone, wear your masks. I know the Australian government is being shitty about rapid antigen tests, but if you have access to them, please use them and please test yourself if you're worried. I know exactly where I got COVID from, so and I know it was completely by accident. It is still not fun, even having a mild version of this virus. We all know what we're supposed to do. Please make sure you do it. I am thankfully okay. Very special virus. Very special, special guest. Thank you to the people who have already been sending me their their best wishes. I, I appreciate that a lot. But on with the show. The show must go yeah. on, as the great Freddie Mercury said. Yes. Yeah, so
0: 2021 is finished. Year two of COVID Day has finished. And, mm-hmm. uh, are going to keep going yeah probably we've done this podcast for like over two years now mm-hmm. which is wow and Wee-hoo! uh yeah so as we have done since is the end of year slash start of a new year um we're going to be recapping slash reviewing all of the lgbt film and tv that we've been able to catch this year there's way more than i thought there would be there is a surprising amount so, so we're gonna go tv and then film First up in TV is It's a Sin. It's a mini series by Russell T Davies that came out at the start of 2021. We actually tried recording like an episode on It's a Sin like two different times, but it has not been released for reasons. But it is a really phenomenal series following a group of gay people in England during the AIDS crisis. And it takes place over 10 years and explores like how the government's actions and inactions affects their lives it's very prescient
1: actually despite being about the past it has a lot to say about yeah. the present and yeah. a big part of the episode that we recorded and have not yet released for various reasons is because we were talking about how how the show either by accident or very intentionally does really capture a lot of the current feelings about the pandemic now mm I still think it's a very good watch. If you haven't seen it already, please watch It's a Sin if you feel you're in a place to watch a program such as that.
0: Yeah, it's quite heavy, but it's also like one of the funniest things I've ever seen at the same time.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's Russell T. Davies. He can write a good funny scene. The next up, I just want to briefly talk about Euphoria. I always have a lot of complicated thoughts about Euphoria that I don't feel like going into detail here. Maybe one day I'll a bonus episode on it. But I do want to briefly talk about the two special episodes that were released earlier on in the year because the season two was delayed due to the pandemic. So they made two special episodes that were filmed under COVID conditions with minimal cast. And one was focusing on Zendaya's character, Rue, and the other one was focusing on on Hunter Schaefer's character, Jules. Hunter Schaefer actually helped write the episode that was mostly focusing on Jules, and the episode was called Fuck Everyone Who Isn't a Sea Blob. And it's a really interesting episode about Jules' feelings like on her gender and how they're changing because of how she feels about Rue. Just really interesting and really transcendent piece of writing made me feel more than anything else that Hunter Schaefer should be included in the Euphoria writer room more often because it's a really, really personal and really unique view of gender. I really appreciated about it that it, the episode wasn't Jules trying to speak for all trans people. Like It was very much specifically Hunter Schaefer's take on how like this character feels about her gender. Just very cool. And the episode was very cool and very lovely. And I actually think that if Euphoria was more often just episodes about those two characters individually, I would like it a lot more. But it isn't, unfortunately. There's so many other characters you have to put up with. But that was one of my favourite little... LGBT media pieces at the beginning of the year.
0: Next up, Generation, which is another HBO show that's actually I guess it's similar in premise ish to Euphoria. Like I would put it in the same kind of vibe as like Euphoria skins, that mm. kind of, you know, teen drama genre exploring their sexuality. The Generation has been cancelled as of now, Rest after one peace. season. But like it was genuinely like I've not I've not finished watching it, but I feel like this there's so much care put into generation and like there's there's like way more empathy i believe for these young people the way that their stories are handled and the way that they're shot and like the the gaze it's just wonderful it's really refreshing and i wish we got to see more of that instead of (sighs) whatever euphoria is um (laughs) exactly i would recommend it even though it's cancelled like i just it's really funny as well justice smith is there he looks great and Stuart jarrett our boy the lesbian subplot is really cute as well like it's Aww. adorable i think next up similarish vein why you like this it's an abc show that you can watch on iview but it's in america and other places it's on netflix so it's an australian show following like three i'm gonna say zillennials
1: yeah just three people under the age of 30
0: <laughs> yeah Three people in their 20s living in Melbourne.
1: Won't hold that against them.
0: (laughs) Won't hold that against them. Yeah, maybe.
1: Definitely part of that sort of precarious genre that we love here on Gay V Club. I'd say it's, you know, in the vein of shows like Fleabag, Insecure, The Bisexual, but it's like, it's very much an Australian, less serious sort of take on that genre. Like Mm. this leans much more to the comedy side of that genre than to the more meditative side of it. It follows three friends, three besties, who all live together and are all 20-somethings. One of them is called Mia. She is a brown bicon, uh, played by Olivia Junkier. And we have Austin, who is a white gay guy. And he's a drag queen, yes, dealing with depression.
0: And their token straight white girlfriend
1: their token straight bestie who is also dealing with with just uh stuff and this show like deals with quite a range of topics for how short it is it deals Mm. with mental health it deals with trying to find a job in this horrendous country yeah the gig economy It, it deals with being cancelled in its own way um it's a very fun show that is clearly a labor of love it's uh it's a lovely funny show if you're an australian person in their 20s like i think you'll find something to love about it it
0: reminds me of like gregoraki kind of stuff and also like it's got a little bit of um it's always sunny vibes in it as well which i think works really well Mm. next up intergalactic
1: This is another show I probably would never have heard of or watched if I hadn't been asked to review it. It's on Stan here in Australia. It's a show about a group of space criminals who escape space prison and become the crew of a ship, and they start committing crimes to make money on their way to, you know, classic sci-fi trope. They're trying to find the utopia for all criminals. Essentially the space version of Tortuga, that's what they're trying to get to. And it's all women, and some of them are gay with each other. Um, Mm. It's just a really fun sci-fi. I really appreciate that this is one of those sci-fi series that looks like it's made with $10, but they spent the $10 in the right places, you know? Nice. And I feel like that's that's good sci-fi. You know? Mm-hmm. For all you bend it like Beckham Gaze, it's got um
0: Pumindanagra.
1: And also most of the main characters are people of colour, like are women of colour. Mm-hmm. Um some of them are also aliens, but yeah, most of them are women of colour.
0: Hell yeah. Next up <laughs> Uh next up is shadow and bone i am sorry for the person that i became after watching this show but it was inevitable because i really liked the six of crows duology as a teenager so that's that's why i watched this show i'm a fan of how simply they were able to introduce the gays in this show like i feel like 2010s ya it always made such a big deal like building up to you know the gay reveals of these characters it really did yeah, like, it's it was so tiresome. But it's really nice to see in this show that it was just done so casually without fucking around. I also, um, she gave her a knife.
1: Uh, you gotta give the knifeys a shout-out.
0: She gave her a knife, and uh, Kaz Brecker is my joker, and uh, Ben Barnes... I wish Ben Barnes would camp it up in this show. I'm really mad that they didn't let him.
1: I was kind of disappointed in how little, like... uh like physically the shift from being like ideal boyfriend material to being evil was like in his performance. Like he's Mm -hmm. just sort of like more He takes
0: it too seriously, I think. He's
1: just sort of too rigid. I really wanted you to like be some like on some insane Logan Delos shit when you when you Mm. turned, you know? But maybe I'm hoping he's saving that for like this next series. We can
0: only hope, even though they weren't particularly good the second book was my favorite because he was so campy um, in that, I think. Anyways, next up, Hacks. I watched this show because I found out that Desiree Akhavan directed two episodes of it, but it's it's really good anyways. Um, it's kind of like late night, but with some actual nuance. The lead character is bisexual. She's very much a dirtbag. But yeah, it's she's really funny. Um it's also got non-binary icon, Carl Clemens Hopkins, and they're um like in a gay relationship and it's just really nice. Some of the writers from Bojack are on it as well. It is good. It's really good. Next uh, I don't know, we've never talked about this show. We are lady
1: parts. Oh,
0: did you hear about this, this, Mariana? I-,
1: I did hear about this show. Um yeah, I I've I've uh, not really I don't know n- not much about it, but you know, all I will say is like guys, we did it. We did it we got a season we got two, a
0: season two
1: <laughs> which was announced um last month obviously we have no more information on that other than that there is going to be a season two but i can't wait they can do no wrong i'm ready for it
0: <laughs> feel good season two you watched this, Mary.
1: I did. I'm very surprised that I watched this and um, you did not. For those who don't know, Feel Good is a TV series written by Mae Martin, inspired by their experiences with addiction. The first season deals very much with Mae's coming to terms with being an addict, in terms of how it affects... Their romantic relationships, and it stars Charlotte Ritchie as their girlfriend Charlotte Ritchie of Ghost's Fame, who we love. <laughs> the second season uh more deals with may's uh relationship to their gender, and it deals with it in quite a lovely way, and also of course is is dealing with them further along the road to recovery in which is yeah, it's just really nice, it's a very heavy show as you'd expect it's very personal, some of it is. It's very interesting meditations on trauma in there and how trauma affects May's view of gender and sexuality. It's just a really well-written show. I'm really glad I gave it a go. For a long time, I didn't want to watch it. But I have a few significant people in my life who are very much like May, and it gave me some nice, interesting like insights into them, and I'm really glad that I watched it and it's also some nice i didn't expect second season to be some really lovely non-binary representation
0: this is the second season of this way up came out this year as well um this way up is actually i only started watching it this year it's in the precarious woman genre as well she's like an irish fleabag um but it's not she's not fleabag if you enjoyed fleabag you'd definitely like this show but like indira varma plays a lesbian in this so Amazing. yeah i think it's i think it's really important essential viewing Mm. Um, and I, I highly recommend. Also, um, yeah, um, Moriarty the Patriot ended this year. I think it's one of the most fun, extremely loose Sherlock Holmes adaptations I've ever seen. It's kind of given me, like, everything I ever wanted out of...
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I feel like this was, like, I don't know, stolen from my brain.
1: <laughs> I felt that in, in everything that you told me.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's like Sherlock Holmes meets Death Note.
1: What a description.
0: Sherlock Holmes meets Death Note meets, you know, Eat the Rich. Basically about if the crimes of James Moriarty was um killing the aristocracy, which is not a crime at all. Next up, (laughs) brand new cherry flavour. Watching this show, I got kind of everything that that I felt like I wanted whenever I would watch a Ryan Murphy show. This show is like so fun, it's like completely batshit. Stars um Rosa Salazar, she's playing like upcoming filmmaker who's a movie gets stolen by a big hollywood producer and katherine keener is a witch question mark who helps her take revenge on this man when you turn on like for instance american horror story like it's specifically because you do want to see some weird violent shit go down in the case of ryan murphy it always ends up dissatisfying you in some way but i think brand new cherry flavor is like the perfect amount of everything in this um and it gives you everything and uh yeah the main character is bisexual and that is actually important to the plot <gasps> amazing Stop. amazing and many Jacinto is there looking very pretty pose ended this year
1: pose ended this year what else can I say this show has been pretty consistently good throughout its entire run I mean it has faltered here and there but what show hasn't in three seasons but season three i think they did very well to quit while they were at their peak i think i think if this show had gone on longer it could have very easily soured on itself if you know what i mean i'm gonna miss it actually it was always Mm. nice looking forward to pose it was beautiful show and hey the the girls finally got some nominations out of it Finally, hey, after the three women. series. But I was really happy with it. Next up, we have All My Friends Are Racist," which is another Australian miniseries that premiered on the ABC, on iView specifically. It's about two blackfella cousins who are kind of very chaotic. They have a essentially a burn book, which is a wall in their house where they just write and talk shit about their friends and they mm-hmm. stick it on the wall like as post-its because they don't want to have that negative energy in their bodies. Unfortunately, as you can see that having that actually out in the open, is not a great idea. And they invite all their friends over for a party one night. And while they usually keep this wall covered with a tarpaulin, so no one can see it. On this night, someone uncovers takes a photo of it and sends it to all their friends. And so essentially, these two are cancelled from their friend group. It is essentially a, a cancel culture kind of story. But again, it's not really one that takes it seriously in the way that there are other plot lines that do take cancel culture very seriously. This does not. The two main characters are both queer and Aboriginal. Like you said with Why You Like This, story, and it's just very much like... It's not very concerned with saying things that will be, like, deep and meaningful and correct and right. Like, it's more just about being authentic. Obviously, there are some people that aren't going to get it or aren't going to like it, but I really appreciate how this show just tried to be honest. Yeah, unapologetic and honest about a very specific experience. The tension at the heart of this show is... Yes, they did something horrible. Like they obviously are not very nice in the sense that they bitched about their friends and wrote it all down, and then <laughs> were discovered to be doing that. Like I'm not saying that that isn't horrible, but the tension of the show is the fact that all their friends use that as a sort of excuse to be racist to them. They don't deserve mm. that, obviously. So it, it's mm. it, it's playing with a very like specific conflict that exists in this country, at least. And so I do appreciate it for treading a very weird line that I don't think a lot of shows are, like, <laughs> like willing to deal with. Very much in that Gregoraki vein of, like, I'm just going to say what I want to say. I'm not really going to worry about whether or not it's going to make sense to everybody. Because
0: or... this is for my people, you know?
1: Yeah, this is for my people. And next up we have Tuca and Birdie Season 2.
0: We always knew Tuka was bi, but mm-hmm. um, this show got way gayer in the second season without netflix which is interesting i feel like it follows kind of the same beats of the first season anyway but it's still just really lovely these two characters together are great and we love lisa hanawalt in this house
1: yes thank you
0: next up i've put the korean drama mine from tvn slash netflix um i only played this because cha hakyun from vix was in it i did not enjoy him in this (laughs) other than the fact that he looked good it's just pretty standard kind of like dynasty-esque show about rich people and their problems and i think there's a murder i didn't finish this show it was a very pleasant surprise to see that kim So hyung's character is a lesbian you know in the villainess her really really beautiful boss oh yeah 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 that's kim So hyung um of sky castle fame as well yeah she's a lesbian in that and i thought it was really nice cool the way that they looked at that kind of like not really they didn't go like too far into that relationship because there's a lot more other stuff going on this show i wouldn't say it was good there's a bit too much um rich people yelling at their domestic workers for me this is just a nice little little rainbow in the shitstorm that it was um 9 perfect strangers also um... came out this year
1: we have so much beef with adaptations of Leanne Moriarty's work as Australians.
0: Leanne Moriarty, she wrote Big Little Lies, which was adapted by Sean marc Valet. Rest in peace, actually.
1: Okay, we would like to apologize to Jean-Marc Valet, who we kind of slandered in our last episode, and then he died. We don't mean any animosity towards Jean-Marc Valet or his family rest in peace to you sir and thank you for all the work that you did however i would just like to acknowledge that we also just have some issues with the way he adapted certain things yeah respectfully
0: it's really interesting the way that people that americans take these very specific novels about like australian middle class
1: i would say upper middle class yeah
0: white australian upper middle class women and adapt them into American shows. It's like, sure, this makes sense, but it's not that good um, when you think about the source material just as an Australian watching it. And yeah, that's how I felt watching Nine Perfect Strangers.
1: Just as an example of how there are just certain elements of Leon Moriarty's work, rather, that are not translatable, in Big Little Lies, in the original novel, Bonnie is like a culturally appropriated tree of life white bar and bay kind of bitch who walks around with dreadlocks and is extremely annoying. If you're not Australian and you don't know, that is a very real stereotype. Like yes it's a stereotype, but it's also a very real kind of person that does exist and is insufferable. For the show, they actually cast Zoe Kravitz in this role.
0: Yeah. And like watching them be so horrible to Zoe Kravitz in the same way that they're horrible to Bonnie in the book just did not feel Nice considering that she is the only person of color in that show.
1: There are lots of other, like, much smaller ones of how, like, translating this work or Leon Moriarty's stories into American stories don't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Nine Perfect Strangers, we encounter this again, but on, like, a really much weirder scale. It's, like,
0: extra annoying because they filmed it here as well.
1: Nine Perfect Strangers is on this list because Luke Evans is gay in it and plays a gay character.
0: Luke Evans is gay in this show as well as.
1: as in real life. And I mean, no animosity whatsoever towards Luke Evans. Like, I love him. But um, we all know that if there was justice and if Nine Perfect Strangers was actually adapted and made with Australians about Australians, we all know that that role would go to Hugh Jackman. We know Mm -hmm. it. We know it. The amount of Australians I was watching in that show pretend not to be Australian in a story about Australians. No. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: We say no.
0: Oh, also they say- made um Nicole Kidman's character bisexual, so that was a very interesting. Oh
1: yeah, that's also why it's on the list.
0: Menage a toi with... <laughs> Mm. <laughs> With managers Jacinto and Tiffany Boone, it was it was interesting.
1: I can't blame her though. Who wouldn't if the opportunity arose? <laughs>
0: also from twenty twenty one, Hitman season two came out,
1: starring lesbian icon Sue Perkins. Um, Hitman. If you don't know it, the whole premise is that these two women are best friends and that they're hitmen and that they're really really shit at their job. The comedy is quite dark. Like it's all about murder. Like, like literally, these two women kill people for a living. So all mm-hmm. the comedy in it is quite dark and quite absurd. And Sue Perkins is. Is one of the women and she is a lesbian and she plays a lesbian if you're looking for something light-hearted to watch that you don't really want to have to invest much in. Hitman is literally the perfect show. Every episode is 20 minutes of absolute gold. They get other British comedians to come on and be the people that they're trying to kill.
0: Next on this list is Ghost Season 3? question mark. It's a bit gay for a BBC show. They nearly got there with this season, but they did not.
1: I have heard that the American version of this show that also came out this year is actually uh, a little bit gayer.
0: I wouldn't say gayer necessarily means good, but like, no, at this point, this show having three seasons, it's a little, it's getting a little bit ridiculous. How gay it refuses to be, yeah,
1: and how they keep nudging you, and it's like we know, we we knew from like literally episode
0: one, we knew, we know. Just
1: want to see the captain have his like venom moment, <laughs> where he goes to a gay rave. <laughs> something somehow i don't know we'll
0: get to that we'll get to that later we'll get to that later season two of mythic quest came out honestly the gay pining plot line with rachel and dana was kind of annoying in season one so i really like that season two settled everything in the first episode and they were really nice and sweet in that um rachel's played by ashley birch by the way of gaming fame question mark i don't know this is like one of my favorite shows and i really love where this season ended i really love charlotte nickdale as poppy lee I love seeing like an Australian actor be Australian in an American show.
1: We love a show that isn't strafophobic. Yeah. There's just too much strafophobia out there, you know. There really is.
0: There really yeah. is. But yeah, Puppy Lee is my wife and I love her and I and I and I can't wait to see her again. Um Chucky.
1: This is like The most random surprise of the year. (laughs) I am shook at how gay the Chucky TV show is. The creator, Don Mancini, is a gay man, and this series is literally about Teen Boy, who is Latina, I believe, and he is gay, and he buys Chucky at a yard sale just because he likes to collect weird shit. You know, he's just a weird kid. He's like, oh, That looks weird. I'm going to buy that. And he buys Chucky at a yard sale. And among other things, I mean, the show is about the Chucky and the kid like fighting demons and doing all this stuff. But it is also about how Chucky helps this young boy get a boyfriend, a boy in his class who is also black. So it's also a show like of men of color loving men of color, which is not something you see all the time. It's just really nice.
0: Gender fluid. (laughs)
1: oh yes you may have seen the viral clip from chucky that went around it definitely did the numbers on tiktok of like the scene where the main character the young boy like does come out to chucky because he's really worried about what chucky will say (laughs) and chucky's like i have a queer kid (laughs) and uh, the kid's like really and he's like yeah gender fluid (laughs) i'm not familiar with chucky law so i'm 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 going to assume that the expert on it is Chucky himself. So if he has a gender-fluid kid, I'm sure he's telling the truth. Um, there's also several points in the series where Chucky asks people for their pronouns, which has led to some really funny like skits of people like pretending to be murdered by Chucky but he's like asking for their pronouns first. But yeah, look, it's honestly quite nice. Uh I can honestly say that there's not a show like it. Talked before about how we really appreciate it when gay creators just go ahead and make the weird show that they want to make, and I can definitely say that uh Don Mancini has done that. Next up, we have yet another Australian mini series really killing it this year. Thank you Screen Australia for oh. I don't know f- Funding all the gays who wanted to make <gasps> things. We have um, Iggy and Ace, which um, instead, just for something different, they're not on ABC, they're on SBS On Demand. It is a little series, I think it's about six episodes, set in Perth about two alcoholic gay besties who try to quit drinking together. I personally thought, and this is something that you won't really understand if you aren't Australian, but I really do feel like this show actually does a very interesting sort of look at the way binge drinking culture is so prevalent here, like even within subcultures, like queer cultures and things. It's very much about how... um, a lot of people even tie their subculture identities like to drinking. The main character, Ace, Ace is the one that wants to quit drinking and everyone sees it as kind of a betrayal to, like he's betraying his community by doing that. As well as being a nice look at, you know, at the queer community of Perth, um, it's also about how toxic the binge drinking culture is here in Australia. And it's kind of hard to explain it if you've, if you don't live here but like it's it's very much it's very intense this show does have a lovely like intergenerational element to it ace's sponsor is like an older gay man who is helping him so i do think there's a lot of nice things in this show
0: next up loki obviously i am not the one in this club that watched it
1: congrats to loki my boy my guy for being the mcu's first fully commodifiable bisexual well done we have uh, a whole bonus episode on Loki on the Patreon if you want to listen to me despair in detail about this show. Look, I have a lot of beef with Russell T Davies, but he was right when he said that this show was c- cowardly.
0: Congratulations to Disney for figuring out a way to have queer representation that doesn't remotely resemble any queer experience Anyone in your audience would have ever had. Uh, that's they're real clever for that. They're real clever. They're real insidious, but also real funny. oh next up we have sort of. Okay, so I'm always talking about how you know there should be more stories about LGBT people of color. Uh, I hope I've been sounding optimistic for the past two years of doing this podcast. But you know there was this. I had this voice at the back of my mind always that's you know there's not going to be a TV show about a non-binary Pakistani Muslim stupid slut. But Bilal Beg. Did it. Yeah, they, they made this show sort of with CBC and HBO Max on in Australia. It's on stand. Please, please watch it. It follows this character, Subby, throughout their various jobs as like a bartender, but also like taking care of kids it's about how they deal don't deal with how like their transition affects their relationship with their Pakistani mother. Which is just, it's just really interesting and nothing I ever expected to see on tv ever but yeah i'm just really grateful that this exists please please watch it um this show is so full of love next up money heist part five so it's finally over i'm only mentioning it because it was quite a popular show and there was some lgbt representation in it uh not all of it good in fact i would say none of it was good and i'm glad it's over but also it's it was compelling as fuck like the actual plot was very compelling
1: dickinson had its final season come out this year again i just love when a series knows how to finish on a high i love that this show is one of the few shows i've ever seen that genuinely got better as it went on and never for me lost any quality like it only got better my only thing is that they never really improved the song choices for when Emily and her lover Sue have their one-a-season sex scene. Every time that's happened, it's been the worst song choice I've ever heard for that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that never changed. But I guess, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. I just love that Ella Hunt is just so gay in this show. You know, Ella Hunt of Enna and the Apocalypse Fame. We have been standing forever and we will continue to stand.
0: Next up we have the Great Season 2. This is the best tv that i watched in 2021
1: seconded
0: it's just a really good show there's always been queer characters on this show but yeah i just wanted to talk about it in this episode because of orlo the great is it's one of the few shows i've seen where sex is like genuinely important to the plot not that i believe that sex has to be important to the plot in order to include it in a show. It's important to the plot because each character's relationship to sex is a personal metaphor. I think it's really nice that with Orlo, who is played by our beloved Sacha Dewan, sex has to mean something because everything he has to do has to mean something to him. Throughout season one, Orlo, he's considered by pretty much everyone as strange for not having sex because sex is what holds the entire court together. Peter, like, specifically doesn't trust orlo because he doesn't
1: i think it's in like the very first episode where he's like i just don't trust a man who doesn't fuck he's
0: like it doesn't matter who one fucks just that one does (laughs)
1: yes exactly
0: (laughs) like he doesn't participate because it's not because he's not able to participate in any like meaningful change like politically in season two he does hold more power and is more engaged so he does give it another go tries with women and he tries with men But if what he's doing doesn't mean anything, it doesn't work for him as it is like with his job and like the stuff that he's trying to do like for the country. In a show where sex is mostly used to represent like hedonism and epathy and like other messed up things about its characters, I think it's it's just really nice to see a character who has like a relatively healthy sex life and for that character to be bisexual. If they really wanted to take the metaphor to its fullest extent orlo and voltaire should have smashed
1: yeah yeah Yeah.
0: come on tony mcnamara we always knew that orlo was fruity but it was nice in this season to get some confirmation uh next up the cowboy bebop remake so i'm a really big fan of the original i I really love um Watanabe's like entire body of work basically i think the remake is really impressive in that it manages to be more sexist than an anime from the 90s.
1: It does give it a different flavor, though.
0: It gives it a different flavor. Faye is now gay or bi. They don't have time to really explore that. And she has a better outfit that doesn't, like, scream boobs every time you see her. But at what cost? The cost is that she's now white and uh, doesn't have anything to say. I hate how, like, Joss Whedon drew from Cowboy Bebop for Firefly and how that kind of, like just made its way back into the Cowboy Bebop remake. It's silly. Also, like, obviously, the trans representation in the original isn't flawless, but it was still pretty radical at the time. The Jupiter Jazz episodes featuring the character Gren had like a lot of really interesting things to say about gender and masculinity and how violence is like kind of tied in with identity. While they were still announcing the cast of the remake they made a pretty big deal that Mason Alexander Park who is a non-binary actor was to be playing Gren but I was really disappointed in the show to see Gren kind of just reduced to a very stereotypical ornament in the background. Also uh, Ed who is the brownest character on the show and is considered by a lot of people to be non-binary as played by a white kid. <sighs> not for very long. I'm really glad that this show got cancelled <laughs> so I don't have long. to worry no, about not, it. Not like, at all. Like, I don't think this is a completely terrible show. I think as an adaptation, obviously it's shit, but like as a show on its own, it kind of, it doesn't really have as many problems as your average show. Yeah, I'm I'm glad it's over.
1: I watched this show with very little, I'd say next to no knowledge of what it was based on and I made the very deliberate decision of just watching the live action show completely on its own because I wanted to be able to judge it for what it was rather than what it was based on if that makes sense yeah and there was quite a lot of it that just didn't make sense to me as someone who hadn't seen the show but also just on the general level of the show's issues had like a lot of issues generally that shows these days have which is just like we're gonna prioritize plot twists over like actual good writing and Mm. just general aesthetics over any kind of substance at all which you can get away with if you know you're doing a good job which they weren't my other big Mm. frustration with the show was that it kind of was constantly nudging you to think about the original, but if you hadn't seen the original, it was sort of like, why are you showing me a close-up of onions? (laughs) I liked it, mostly because I love John Cho, and I was just happy to see him as a space cowboy, and I was having a lovely time. I didn't Mm -hmm. care much else for the rest of the plot. I didn't understand why Vicious was called Vicious, but why Spike was also called uh, Fearless.
0: (laughs) no one understands why they made that decision
1: like Spike why would you name yourself after Taylor Swift's only good album
0: <laughs> actually that makes sense now
1: oh that's a- <laughs> Spike's just a Swiftie. but yeah I just like to see Jon Cho with fluffy hair what yeah. more do you people want yeah But I will say, as someone who had never seen the anime, I think this show was way too self-referential for it to ever, like, get off to a bigger audience. It's weird, because I decided when I'd finished it that this show was too much like the original to be enjoyable for anyone like me who hadn't seen the original, but it was too unlike the original for anyone who enjoyed the original and wanted to see the original just remade. Yeah. They wouldn't get that either. So I think it just ended up, like, alienating... Any potential audience it could have had, which is yeah. why it was cancelled. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame, because I actually think like they could have done some nifty stuff with it, um, based yeah. on what I've now seen of the anime. I really feel like you could have done something that would have been fun for everyone.
0: did have like a lot of fun in the first two episodes. They're directed by Alex Garcia Lopez, who worked on Utopia, which is why they're good. I love that Yoko Kano came back to do the soundtrack. We got some new seatbelts. Yes, I love the
1: music.
0: I actually did love all the referential shots, like all the recreations, because they were never used like in the same context as the original, but it was just really nice to see them. I thought it was really cute. Next up, Wheel of Time. This is a fantasy series based on a series of books that's like, there's like 20 books in this series, right?
1: Yeah, 20.
0: Neither of us have read any of them. But we can so in the way that Mary watched Cowboy Bebop with no prior knowledge. Um, we can but we can look at Wheel of Time in just as a show and not as an adaptation. And we can say as a show that this show sucks.
1: We're really sorry. I'm sorry to any Wheel of Time fans like of the books that may be listening.
0: I'm sorry for you. I think fans are annoyed
1: by it as well.
0: The reason that we started the show is because um, Madeline Madden is in it. Jaleen Icon.
1: Please be my wife.
0: I was told that she was in a pretty important role. But the thing about the show is it doesn't start until episode six. And so you spend like five hours wondering why Madeline Madden and these three other dudes are even like important to this story.
1: And the answer is because
0: because we do get to see um Rosamund Pike and Sophie Oganedo in a lesbian relationship but the cost is is being bored for 6 hours.
1: I really wish that this was better. I gave it a really good go. I watched the first 3 episodes when they came out. Like I didn't go on my phone. I didn't even knit because I was like I'm going to I'm going to give it my all. I really regretted those 3 hours. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right. Preppers. Yes. Speaking of black women who who just give me the goods, um, Nakia Louie, thank you for my life. Uh, thank you for making this show, Preppers, the ultimate comedy about being a black by disaster working in Australian media. Something that I feel in my nuggets, Preppers is a really wonderful little series on ABC here in Australia about Charlie, who is a Aboriginal woman in her in her twenties. She has a very public meltdown which causes her to be cancelled and to avoid consequences for her actions, as it were, she runs away uh, to her grandmother's land claim, thinking that she can start her life anew only to find that her grandmother has leased the land to a whole bunch of doomsday preppers, most of whom are also Aboriginal, and it is run by uh, an old fella, played by Uncle Jack Charles, who is running this haphazard group of doomsday preppers. I feel like one of the things, because I watch a lot of TV, one of the things I judge a show on is how much I can compare it to other things when I'm describing it to people. And while I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if I have another show to compare it to, I do find it really impressive when I can genuinely say that a show – has nothing like it that I can say, or that I'm aware of. And Preppers is just one of those shows. I can't think of anything that I've ever seen like Preppers. It is so funny. It's really poignant too. It uses like the sort of underside, like dark side of comedy to make some really poignant points about frontier uh, wars in this country and other things. It's just so funny. The episode three where they all get trapped in their own bunker, is like one of the funniest thirty minutes I've ever seen in my life. It is truly hilarious. I really enjoy seeing um, more indigenous creatives in general being given space in television to make these sort of wacky, weird little shows. Um, like we saw Preppers this year. Also, see all my friends are racist. Um, overseas, you on like Turtle Island, you have like reservation dogs and. Rutherford Falls, all these interesting little shows that are really unlike anything you've ever seen. And I really think it's because we're starting to finally see Indigenous creators being given like space to make these kinds of shows that are really unique to the Indigenous mm. point of view. And I just love to see it. And the reason yeah. this show is on the list is because, yeah, Nakia Louie plays the main character, Charlie, who is, as I said, a bi-disaster. I don't really want to elaborate on that because the way you find out that she's a bi-disaster is one of the greatest scenes I've in Australian television. But I will say Nakia Louie tapped into a very specific...
0: Kate Miller-Heidke obsession from year eight.
1: <laughs> yeah, a very specific Kate Miller-Heidke obsession from year eight that many gay Australians likely had. So, Preppers, it's on ABC iView still if you're in Australia and you want to watch it, and if you're not in Australia, get a VPN and watch it. You don't have an excuse.
0: Black Sales Gays, um, Luke Arnold is in it for two seconds, but it's a good two oh, seconds.
1: Yes. He's in it a lot more than two seconds, right. but he's only seen the first couple of episodes.
0: Yellow Jackets! If you're gay and you miss the hit series Lost from 2004, uh, this is a show for you. It's like an amazing blend of Lost, Bend It Like Beckham, Jennifer's Body, and I Know What You Did Last Summer. It's definitely one of my new favorite shows. Karin Kusama is a producer and um, she also directed the first episode. It stars Tawny Cypress and also Jasmine Savoy Brown uh, playing Taya Satona, lesbian icon. It's just a really fun, wild plot. Um, that I just I recommend it to everyone the music is great everything about it is so cool Uh, you know how like over the last decade you know there was like the whole 80s nostalgia obsession where like Mm -hmm. you know the 80s was kind of broken down to its bare stereotypical essentials and like romanticized I'm glad that we're doing that with the 90s now okay (laughs) oh what was that reality tv we've got a Um, little section and the first one is Drag Race Down Under. I gave up on watching Drag Race like several years ago, but um, I did tune in for this one because it's Australian. But fuck this show. This show could have been really good because Australia's drag scene is like so unique and so diverse. All but three of the queens were white and there weren't any Australian judges who like understood that and it just ended up being like a competition for like how well uh these Australian drag queens can imitate like American post-Drag Race drag.
1: This show is like eating itself, as far as I can see. Like, it's just... Also, it
0: looks like it had a lower budget than season one.
1: I would like to say that both the shows we're going to talk about in the reality TV section are shows that I had not watched until this year because they had Australian sort of links that I needed to keep up with for my job. I had never seen Drag Race until this year, and I watched it and I was just thoroughly underwhelmed is probably the kindest word I can give it. I also just didn't like the culture around around this season. I didn't like that the first queen that was eliminated was uh, the only Aboriginal contestant. Jojo Zaho I was really angry that they were the first person to get eliminated, especially in light of the fact that this season had queens that had practiced a literal blackface in their drag. And I was really angry that that wasn't even brought up until about the midpoint of the season. There was only one queen of color left by that point. And of course it was that queen's job to call these two out two of the queens that were in the show had confirmed to have done blackface in the past and this actually came out like before the show had even like officially started the producers left it up to etc etc to basically educate them (laughs) on on anti-racism and why doing uh black and brown face is bad and it was just a horrible time. The fact that the producers really just seem to use this as like character growth for them as if they weren't grown people that made this decision when they were grown adults. We don't like it. We hate it. The other thing that I didn't like was that um, the way this was reported in pop culture like a lot of the time I used to have to do Drag Race stuff when I was working for Junkie by myself on Sundays and it really... frustrated me the amount of times i would see people uh whitewash etc cetera, etc cetera, um just to get their woke points of saying oh it's a totally white season of drag race and i and i fully do believe that you know it's important to have conversations around colorism and how yes the queens were um most of them were either white or light-skinned but i don't see how like you whitewashing etc cetera, etc cetera, especially when it was them that had to like Tell these grown human beings not Mm -hmm. to do black and brown face. And in order to do that, like, etc., Drew, like, was talking about their own experiences with racism in drag. I really got angry that even after that, people were still whitewashing them. Yeah, honestly, it was just a whole mess. And I can't say that, you know, that as my first experience of watching Drag Race was something that would make me want to go back and watch it again. But as etc. and many of the other um, contestants pointed out, unfortunately, like, this show is still a great way for queens to get exposed and help their careers but anyway moving on next up we have the bachelorette and for those who don't know australia made history world history in 2021 because we had the first out bisexual and out indigenous uh like bachelorette brooke blurton who is a Nunga and yamachi woman from so-called south australia She's beautiful. She's a beautiful woman. No one's arguing that. And so for the first time in history, The Bachelorette had both men and women competing for Brooks' hand, love, affection. And I have to admit, I'd never watched The Bachelorette before in my life or really any variation thereupon. It's so bizarre. Of... Oh, it is. It is really bizarre. I've never... I've never seen it and it was very funny because I was catching up on The Bachelorette while I was at Duriadin's house and they were they were at work and I was just catching up on it and their um their parents came and asked me what I was watching and I just said oh yeah the The Bachelorette and they asked me, What do they win? And <laughs> I actually don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's such a strange little show, but they did um they did not shy away from it being gay. It was quite gay, it got quite gay fast um i will acknowledge that pretty much on the show they definitely went with the more fem side of things when it came to, to the girls they chose I, I remember reading a lot of articles when i was at uni about this idea of like a assimilatory gay representation and it's basically like the most palatable version of like uh, of queerness that you can sell that will still appeal to a queer audience and i definitely saw that in the bachelorette
0: the most palatable version of queer representation that you can sell that is
1: that can like play both sides basically Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to take it away from anybody because i do think like it is a huge deal that there was a there is a bisexual bachelorette and there was like a whole season of television where we saw her just dating men and dating women and that's like that's really great and i'm really happy there are people who got to see that but at the same time her and the guy broke up oh okay this is what i think about all the time with these shows it's one of the things that existentially freaks me out about them because i'm like you go through all of this as a national spectacle and then after all of that what if you don't even like this person but i think that's the true definition of um equality is that (coughs) the bachelorette even as a bisexual the show itself was just as boring as it would have been if it was, if she was straight and also ended really badly in the same way as it often does for the straight batches. The quality. It was very interesting. I still have no idea how the Bachelorette or the Bachelor or those shows actually work. And I still don't understand what you really win, but it answered for me a very important question, which is, would I ever go on one of those shows? And the answer is no, mostly because I know the public would hate me yeah the bachelorette
0: oh yeah uh the new season of queer eye came out at the on the last day of the year plenty oh, yes. of time to review it um but no i i did what i always do with queer eye, is i watched the first episode and then i watched the episode where they're actually helping out like an lgbt person which is just episodes one and two in this so it's really convenient watching oh, it was really nice. nice i think it was really nice okay movie time movie time yeah Yay! Okay, um, so. Who remembers the Fear Street trilogy? <laughs> there were some
1: movies that were made. I was mad because I was Maya Hawk baited. The trailer for these movies, like, had her whole scene in it, and it made you think that she was gonna be in all three movies. She gets killed in the first 10 minutes of the first one. And then yeah. the rest of the movie is you watching these people you don't even know that aren't Maya Hawk, these non Maya Hawk types, if you will.
0: I hated the lesbian romance in this. Like, I genuinely don't understand. Like, watching the first movie was awful because I'm like, you're risking your life and like the safety you're risking all of this just you know for this you're trying to salvage this relationship I wouldn't I would you couldn't you couldn't be me couldn't be me Mm. but um yeah the second movie lots of people like the second movie I actually really liked the third movie because instead of like you know the motivation being like romance driven it was like you know moral
1: driven yes There was an actual Um, horror element to it. There was an actual
0: horror element. You actually wanted to solve the evil, not because, you know, so the lesbians can be happy, but because the evil actually sucks.
1: For my thesis, I I wrote a lot about colorblind casting and how, like, a lot of the times it isn't really colorblind because a lot of the time these castings have inherent biases attached to them. And Mm -hmm. I do think that Fear Street... He's a really good example of why it's important if you've decided that your main character or one of your main characters is going to be a black woman, you really need to have someone who is also a black woman on your writing staff in, in important roles. There was some imagery that was very questionable in this trilogy. Yeah. That I feel that if there had been a black woman or black person on the writing staff would not have allowed that imagery to to come through.
0: Plan B by Natalie Morales.
1: I watched this while in my quarantine and I just want to say if we were like 10 years younger and in high school together, I feel like this would be us.
0: <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> i disagree because i know who i was 10 years ago and no
1: (laughs) okay fair enough fair enough but other than that other than me just getting brutally shot down on the podcast I'm sorry. <laughs> Other than that, uh, I do want to say I just love this movie. Um, my favorite scene in this whole movie is in, like, the first 15 minutes when one of the two main girls, I forget their names, I'm terribly sorry, they're both hanging out in the locker room getting changed for PE or whatever, and one of them has, like, hairy armpits, because that's perfectly normal, and one of the mean girls says to her, like, oh, my God, if that's what your armpit looks like, I'd hate to think, like, what the rest of you looks like or something really, you know, bitchy like that. And Mm -hmm. she's just like, wow, must be so weird for you, like, thinking about my pussy all the time. (laughs) And she's just like, what? No. And I was just on the floor crying because I was thinking about all the times, like, I was ripped off from my body hair with comments like that and I could have, like shot them all down with a comment like that. I never thought of it, but yeah, it was, um, I liked this movie, um, I, it made me cry.
0: Oh, I just thought it was really funny, I like mm. I like died laughing, um, mm. I was also scarred for life. Yeah. I
1: thankfully wasn't scarred for life, because I knew the thing that was in this movie was coming, because I'd seen it in a lot of reviews, so I was like, alright, I can mentally prepare myself for this, but I can absolutely understand why if you weren't prepared for it, that would scar, scar you for life. Next film on the list is a film called Gluck. Or gluck I'm sorry I'm not a native German speaker um, but that's the German word is bliss it's a film by Henrika Henrika Kohl I got to watch this um, while I was screening stuff for um, Sydney Film Festival this year and it was one of my absolute favourite films that they asked me to screen it's about two sex workers who fall in love it's essentially a lesbian workplace romance personally in my film viewing I'd never seen such a like compassionate but also casual depiction of like sex workers and in terms of like workplace romances it's really interesting the way that the sex scenes were filmed in this movie they're very much filmed like this is their job and it's pretty monotonous most days and it's just what they Mm -hmm. do and the romance itself was like very sweet and you can tell it really like made their work exciting because they were looking forward to seeing each other like when they went to work, I was actually just a little bit sad when I saw that it wasn't in the festival lineup. It's such a nice film. If you if you see it somewhere, please give it a watch. It's such a lovely movie.
0: Next up, we have The Hill Where the Lioness is Raw. Um, this was directed by Luana Bajrami of Portrait of a Lady on Fire fame. Like, you know, she played um, Sophie, I think her name is.
1: Oh, legend, Sophie, my girl. Legend.
0: It's a pretty nice film and it blended like a lot of uh, indie coming of age tropes. Next up, The Green Knight. <laughs> <laughs> Skip. Shipping Celts. Um, it's a debut film from Milika Tomovic. It's one of those movies where it's just people standing around at a party and they're just talking. And I, I do like movies like that. It's kind of like the kids are having like teenage mutant ninja turtle themed party and all the adults are in the kitchen talking. Um. Ooh. Wow. And I didn't really understand a lot of the political context. Other than that, like, it's great. Next up we have Passing by Rebecca Hall, based on the novella by Nala Larson.
1: This book has a lot of gay subtext. It was written in the 1920s. And one of the things I was very curious about, as someone who loves this book, is whether or not the film would address that subtext. And I would go so far as to say that the film makes that subtext almost... Mm. not subtext
0: Mm. it was way gayer than i was expecting it to be yeah
1: and there is actually a really nice you can see it on youtube it's one of those um you know director breaks down a scene videos but rebecca hall is there with tessa thompson and they're breaking down the scene at the party
0: where she takes her hand.
1: Yeah, Irene grabs Claire's hand. And Rebecca Hall says that she deliberately wanted Tessa to play that, like this one moment of like unrestrained like desire to touch her. And they have this really nice banter, like Rebecca Hall and um Tessa Thompson, about how they wanted to play it like she wouldn't even be aware of being attracted to Claire because it wouldn't even be something she'd really consider Mm. so that really confirmed for me seeing that video that they very much knew about the subtext and deliberately wanted to yeah make it a a meaningful part of the Mm. story without necessarily like rewriting the story because i think you said this story when we left the theater after seeing passing like the point of passing isn't that it's like a story that's got a like traditional start middle and end it's very much like the vibes
0: everything's internal
1: and using all these like events to bring these internal feelings to the forefront in the narration. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca Hall just did so well to yeah. write a script that did that without narration. This movie it's on the list because uh yeah, Rebecca Hall said she did deliberately want to bring that out.
0: The movie itself does reference a lot of shots from um The Servant, the nineteen sixty three film by Joseph Losey, which is like one of like the gay subtext movies um of that time i would highly recommend like double feature the servant and passing next up eternals by chloe Dow. my my hatred of marvel kind of stems from the way that everything is like tied together and like all the movies are ads for each other so Mm -hmm. i really like that eternals is more of like a standalone thing that doesn't reference anything else so so then i could actually enjoy it
1: the way i feel about marvel is Probably the way that the Master feels about the Doctor in Doctor Who. Like, there's love there, but there's also a lot of hate and a lot of, like, indescribable feelings of disappointment and resentment. But that all being said, the Eternals... Oh, sorry. it It is called Eternals. I don't know why I always want to call it The Eternals. Um, mm. But I mean, it's my favorite kind of story. It's about a bunch of immortals who are a family. The movie draws a lot from a Neil Gaiman comic. I think this movie is actually quite good. It goes for two and a half hours and you really don't feel like that when you're watching it. I think,
0: I think Marvel fans have no taste. People hating on this movie. Like, why are you lying? You have like a good film in front of you. <laughs> like an actually well-made film and because it doesn't conf- it doesn't fit in with the uniformity you're used to you say it's bad i hate your guys.
1: no it's so <laughs> painful for you every time you have to try to say something nice about eternals i can hear you like like wanting to cry like you just yeah. hate having to say it it's a
0: good fucking movie okay
1: <laughs> i mean this movie is so good that not even harry styles coming in at the end of it like ruined Ugh. it for me and also, like like we said in our last episode, I just really enjoyed seeing Kid Harrington and Richard Madden in something again. Like that just yeah. healed a part of me that I didn't realise needed healing and that What's was nice.
0: <laughs> What's nice? Next up is Benediction. It's Terence Davies' most explicitly gay film yet, I believe. So Terence Davies, he's a gay director and like a lot of his films are like period dramas that are like very heavy on the subtext. He's done a movie A Quiet Passion about Emily Dickinson which is great. This one is kind of a biopic about um, Siegfried Sassoon Academy Award winner Peter Capaldi is in his (laughs) dead inside mode for this.
1: Our grandfather That's
0: my uncle, Uh, my white uncle. uncle.
1: That's our uncle (laughs) no literally. literally. My emotional
0: support old man. Peter Capaldi like all of his characters can be sorted into two groups which is On Fire and Dead Inside. Unfortunately he's in his Dead Inside mode which I don't enjoy as much but he's still pretty great he plays the older version of Siegfried Sassoon. The Sassoon that you see the most is the younger version played by Jack Loudon, who is also really good. And uh, yeah, I, I highly recommend you go see it. I cried like five times. It's in my top 10 of this year. Nice. Next up, we have Swan Song by Todd Stevens, not the Marishala Ali movie on Apple TV. Um, It's the one with Udo Kier. He plays a retired hairdresser who hasn't been in the game for a very long time and one of his closest clients uh dies and um he's invited to do her hair and makeup for the funeral and uh yeah it's a really beautiful story i think oh. of him just kind of going back to where he lived and where he worked and like the way that things have changed and um there's also just a really beautiful scene in a gay club where you know Robin dancing on my own is playing feel like gay and don't have like a specific experience tied to this song like i i don't i don't know how to relate to you (laughs) next up everybody's talking about jamie this one flew under the radar
1: it is it is based on the musical by the same name and follows the same plot it is about a young gay teen called jamie follows jamie in his last year of school when he is gonna graduate and he wants to be a drag queen and he's it's it's one of those like i'm the one of the few gays in the village if not the only gay in the village Dude, what he's not is the it only.
0: about sheffield all the gay artists that come from sheffield all make a piece of media about how much they fucking hate sheffield
1: like if you're from sheffield like be honest you know is it that bad
0: I don't know. It probably is. It's probably way worse than I know it to be from TV and film.
1: That aside, this movie, um, the songs are really lovely, and there is there is a lovely relationship in this film between Jamie and like one of the uh, older gays in the community, played by Richard E. Grant. And mm. Richard E. Grant has a song in this movie that literally destroyed me emotionally. Yeah, uh, and it's just casually in the first thirty minutes of the movie, and it's like. Uh-huh. I don't know how you expected me to just keep watching this movie and feeling yeah. okay.
0: Yeah, like, I'd say this movie is kind of, like, I'd put it on the same kind of, like, Love, Simon sort of level where it's just, like, a nice teen movie. Um, but, yeah, this scene with Richard E. Grant <laughs> made me cry so hard. I love, like, you know, where it goes, like, the archive footage and then they put him in the archive footage watching him. So- oh, man. Tears. Tears. I'm not familiar with the musical, but, like, this, this one sequence was beautiful.
1: I would just elevate it a little bit, like not to say it's a competition, but something that I love about everybody's talking about Jamie that wasn't in Love, Simon is the presence of like the old, like the older generation of queer people and is that acknowledgement of, of queer history. Mm. The struggles that AIDS and various other things put upon like the older generations of the queer community are things that like Jamie may not be aware of. And Basically, Richard E. Grant is trying to say to him, like, be proud not just for you, mm-hmm. but for, like, all the people that couldn't. I think that's, like, a really lovely thing that not a lot of gay movies for teens, like, do touch on. Yeah. And I don't think they have to, but yeah. I think, like, that's, so- and, that's like, still just mo- a nice In this thing. instance,
0: it is quite simplified, but it's still just nice that it's there, mm. you know?
1: Because it's just Richard E. Grant talking about his life. It's not someone trying to be like, this is everything that happened. Like, it's literally mm. just him saying... This is how I feel now about what happened then. Beautiful. For me, that whole sort of sequence really elevated the movie just a little bit beyond what, like, other teen movies sort of do because I just haven't seen a movie for teens, like, deal with that specific angle. Next up.
0: Uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. This is a movie that's kind of like an anthology of, like, three little stories. And it kind of sucked, but the (laughs) last story with the lesbians question mark was like really funny it's like this woman she's out in public and then she sees this woman that she thinks she's recognized and she's just like oh hey it's you and you know the other woman's like oh hey it's you and then they go back to one of their houses and they realize that they're actually not the people who they thought they were <laughs> what yeah, and
1: they just pretend like that they N- are no, or <laughs>
0: <what>? <laughs> they kind of like end up like doing this weird like kind of role play uh, Nico? By Aline Goering.
1: Nico is a also a German film. What is it with me and German films? I have a whole two on this list. My goodness.
0: <gasps> I hate how many French movies I have on this.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: I hate how many French movies I loved this year.
1: This movie is very short. It's about an hour long and it is literally just about its main character, Nico, who is a gay Iranian woman just living her life. And she is unfortunately hate crimed. And it is just about her like being really angry at that and how she heals from that. There's like a lovely little subplot where she has a crush on a girl and how that sort of plays into her trauma. It's one of those ones where I just, all I can say is it's short and bittersweet and I really liked it. I found it a very cathartic movie to watch. Oh, Uh, here we go.
0: Yeah, Uh. next up we have *Titan* by Julia Ducorno. Yeah, this is my favorite movie of the year. Hollywood's awards season has kicked off, so we are basically never going to hear anything about this movie ever again. Because okay, I know this film is I think it's achieved like a notoriety it does deserve but i feel it doesn't deserve i feel like the way that people are talking about like the really wild things that happen in this movie in the first 30 minutes of this movie only i think that's really unfair and like kind of oversimplifies it and people kind of don't take away what the movie is supposed to be about but yeah titan it's about if you ask anyone about titan like one of the first things people are going to mention is oh she has sex with cars but it's so much more than that it's very deep it's a very deep film (laughs)
1: I get what you mean.
0: I think it's a really like kind of cathartic story about like finding who your family is supposed to be and like it also looks like has some really interesting things to say about like gender.
1: I definitely get the vibe that this movie is like being gimmick.
0: Yeah, it's hard to watch. If I was recommending this movie, I would recommend it in the same way that I recommend Possession, which is if you watch it and you feel like you hate it, just turn it off because it only gets worse. Um, but it's still it's still a wild movie like I did have kind of like an expression of disgust plastered on my face for like the first half of it but like it was so entertaining and seeing it in a theater was so good just hearing everyone scream at the same time as me was great um, when I got out of the theater I called Mary and was like do not watch this film <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah if you if you do want to try it Mary I I, I applaud you You'll be um, here for me. You'll yeah, be I'll here. be here for you. I'll be here oh, for you. But um, thanks. yeah, so this is genuinely like one of like, I haven't felt like had like such a visceral reaction to a film in a very long time. And it's just, it's so good. It's so good. I wish it wasn't gimmicked in this way because I think it has a lot of really beautiful things to say. Next up, Power of the Dog. This is my second favorite movie of the year. And that speaks to the power of Jane Campion. We talked about this on our previous episode a bit so I don't really want to delve into it that much
1: I have I have nothing new to say on this movie other than the more I think about it the more I like it yeah and I still think that the scene where Benedict Cumberbatch's character refuses to bathe is one of the Mm -hmm. funniest most overdramatic things I've ever seen in cinema
0: I love the sudden cut to the shot of the kid like hula hooping outside the house (laughs) I think that's like one of the best shots In cinema of of
1: 2021 cinema pure cinema what more can we say
0: pure cinema paris 13th district also known as les olympiades another french movie i'm so sorry by jacques odiard this was my third favorite movie of the year until i watched the last film we're gonna mention this movie made me so happy it follows like three different people living in this district and like their relationships with each other it's one of the first French movies I've seen with an Asian lead, which was really oh. interesting for me. I realized that I hadn't actually seen that before. Celine Sciamma wrote the Noemi Merlon plotline, and it's really sweet. It's really, like, bizarre in that Noemi Merlon, like, she starts at university, she's, like, going to be, like, a doctor or whatever, and then she goes to a party wearing this, like, blonde wig, and people mistake her for this cam girl. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and people are, like, sharing, like, all these, like, images of her like of this cam girl and being like oh it's her and like basically they slut shame her out of the school and it's really awful. Um and so No Noemi Merlin like she contacts this cam girl and it's like this is what happened to me because of you. I would say the true lead of the movie is um Emily um Lucy Jang's character. She's she is bisexual but like her romance with Makita Samba it's a straight relationship but like their their romance is so nice. It just made me so happy. It was so it was such a cute movie. Next up, Benedetta this is not one of the French movies I love this year. I <laughs> I have never hated a movie more. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have one dot point on this Google Doc and it is jail. Next up, Spencer. Skip.
1: I actually am so baffled. Everything I've learned about Spencer has been against my will and every piece of information I gain about it seems to contradict the other bits of information. And I, at this point, I know the only way to know and to understand all the information I have is is by watching it. But I just don't want to watch Christian Stewart mumble Mm. mumble act through a whole movie. I just Yeah, Kristen want it.
0: Stewart is do- she's doing like the Keira Knightley teeth acting. It's Kristen Stewart imitating Keira Knightley, imitating Diana. Keira Knightley would never do that to Diana. So it's Leave
1: just... Leave Diana alone! Leave her alone! Uh, the fact that we have people on TikTok who think it's okay to cosplay as this real-life woman, like, we've gone too far. Stop. We don't need it anymore. Mm. No.
0: Okay, next, next up, up is ugh, Venom 2. Vanity. Which is gay in a homophobic way, like yes. Succession. This movie was not long enough. It's a very tight 90 minutes, but it really should have been... You can really tell like how... It's
1: very rushed.
0: ...how rushed it is. Andy's Circus is such a step down from Ruben Fleischer in terms of direction. They took what people loved about the first Venom movie, which is like, you know, the the symbiotic relationship mm. between... <laughs> eddie and venom they're went in separated for the most of this movie yeah they're separate yeah but like they really went in on it in this movie in the worst way possible mm. which i just i just didn't like at all because it just, uh,
1: I, it just I would so like
0: mean-spirited you know like it's it was. just them being like it's like oh yeah they're like an old married couple and in that way like it's only like the negativity of that which yeah. I did not It's like. also
1: only so you can laugh at the idea of them being a married couple. Like, it's yeah. not really... Yeah. It's not really because they genuinely want to portray intimacy. It's more because mm. they want you to laugh at the idea of them having this level of int- yeah. intimacy. To
0: be clear, like, I don't really think of Venom as a gay story and that I think Eddie and Venom are gay. I think of, like, Venom as a gay metaphor of, like, you know, this thing mm. inside you that you're, like, feeling ashamed of. But, you know, it, like you're at your best when you embrace it you know Mm. like that's how i think of venom but the funniest thing was like (laughs) being in the theater with my friend watching venom 2 and then during the gay rave scene my friend leans over and is like was venom always like a gay metaphor (laughs) was venom always a gay metaphor and i'm like yes
1: when i watched venom the first one for the first time i had just gotten out of surgery so i was still under a lot of General Anesthetic, and I thought it was the best movie I'd ever seen <laughs> because <laughs> because I was I was very happy. I couldn't tell if it was just you know comparing it to that uncomparable scenario of how I watched Venom. But I really gotta say I preferred the first one. Yeah. I also just wasn't invested that much in Carnage as a villain. Like, I yeah. Was what
0: like, what was his motivation?
1: Yeah, he's just like I, I hate understand. I hate you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. It was actually legitimately. I hate you for making like,
0: me alive.
1: <laughs> I mean, valid, but like, but like, really, you're gonna what do all this, that? What is this No. Yeah. And also, it kind of disappointed me because I really do like it when, um, Woody Harrelson plays a villain. Like, I think he does a really good job. But I don't even think this script like really used him all that much in that mm. way. Also, Naomi Harris severely underutilized in this movie. Yeah, um, I didn't did. really she even so get why she, she was. Died. Overall, like, yeah, I think, like you said, I think it was all just issues with time. I think if they just gave him an extra twenty minutes for this, mm-hmm. like, it would have been been a really decent sequel. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was COVID or if it was something else. They just didn't have the time, which is a shame. But good on Tom Hardy for getting that writer's credit. Good job, buddy.
0: Oh, and little Sims. I love seeing her in this. Oh <gasps> yes! Oh yeah. my god,
1: I was so happy. The step her. up from Eminem. <laughs> yes! Oh my god, I love Little Sim so much. I thought it was so cool she was in the movie. It was so yeah. awesome. <laughs> Next minute we have Silent Night.
0: Directed by Camille Griffin. We mentioned this because Lucy Punch and Kirby Hal Baptiste play lesbians in this, but yeah, it's, uh, it's the you probably saw the trailer of this. It's Kira Knightley and Matthew Goode uh seem to have like a Christmas death cult
1: um but it is so much it's so much worse than that i promise you whatever i was going to say th- more than that i promise you that whatever you think this movie is if you don't know what it is already whatever you think it is it's it's worse yeah. and i don't mean worse like in like as in bad i just mean worse as in the scenario that they're in is mm. horrendous mm. like but it's it's certainly you know, if you are... I don't know what kind of mood you should be in to watch this movie. I honestly can't tell you what Smashed. you... Smashed. Smashed, yeah. Um, or just, you know, like, ill, like how I was. Like, you're already down in the dumps, so nothing can really mm-hmm. harm you more. Uh, Yeah, it it certainly is a film A. Um, yeah. It is I really don't funny. Know.
0: I would say... It, it is basically. really funny. Lucy Punch is so funny.
1: Lucy Punch has all the best lines in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I really loved her. I don't know how Camille Griffin as a director and writer like tapped into so many of my very specific anxieties and then decided to also explore those anxieties in a in a very specific situation that would give me the, an insane amount of anxiety. Kudos to her for managing that. Um, yeah. What a movie. What a mm-hmm. film that was made.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, next up. Flee.
0: So Flea, flee F-L-E-E, uh, it's an animated documentary about the story of Amin Nawabi, who's a gay refugee, and he's like finally opening up um, like as an adult about his journey from Afghanistan to Denmark as a child. I want this movie to win Best Documentary, I want it to win Best Animation, and I want it to win Best International Film at the Oscars because it is that good. It's definitely hard to watch but it is it's beautiful and I really love it. Next Oh, lost up.
1: Oh, we have Matrix Resurrections. Matrix Resurrections. Okay, full disclosure, Daya and I love this movie, and we're not being ironic when we say that. No. Um, I feel like a lot of people don't love this movie, and to those people I say, um, get well soon. Over the
0: last month, I've been introducing myself, like in conversations about this, I've been introducing myself as a Matrix apologist, and I actually, I regret this because every time I say this, people like talk about how much they hate the sequels and expect me to apologize. So I will, no, that's not...
1: That's not what you mean. I
0: am a Matrix unapologist in that... <laughs> ah, uh, yes. In yes. that I will kill you if you... <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: gosh.
0: <laughs> no, I will not. But um, in that I will be very upset and leave the conversation um yes. as soon as you try to talk to me about how dumb you think The Matrix 2 is. The But The Matrix Resurrections was like... Mary doesn't particularly enjoy the sequels either, but The Matrix Resurrections is like so good, so much better than movies 2 and 3. Um, Not so much in that, like, they thematically represent the same thing, but it's just, like, a much better film overall. Neo and Trinity, like, they are trans lesbian icons. With Lana Wachowski being out and, like, making this movie, it's so nice to see her, like, actually tap into that more in this movie. I was, like, fully prepared for this movie to be bad. Um, Like, I was just excited to see Trinio because I love them. They're my parents and but also like Neo is my girlfriend but yeah, I don't know. Mm.
1: Um it's complicated. It's, compl- it's
0: complicated. It's complicated. Like I don't know. I watched <laughs> I watched the Matrix movies at 13 and was like yeah.
1: <laughs> I was like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Like I didn't know Neo was a trans lesbian and I didn't know I was a trans lesbian but you know I feel like that that meant something to me at 13 mm. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is a beautiful movie. Beautiful. It's it's so clever.
1: I do believe this movie is so ahead of its time that that's why people kind of hate it. But I feel like mm-hmm. in 10 years, when mm-hmm. we've seen a million sequels that are trying to copy what this one did, mm-hmm. like, people will, like, literally, that's like... This I is feel that, like, like, like shocking, this-
0: like, I'm kind of shocked that we aren't, that, like, society, mm-hmm. like, the mainstream isn't, isn't already sick enough of ip culture to love this movie
1: yeah i don't know why either i think it's because they don't care about the matrix like Like it's
0: not been yeah like it's i feel like we're at a point where like this is exactly this (laughs) movie the movie that Mm -hmm. we need at this point that like addresses like ip culture reboots and like just techno orientalist capitalism and fucking nfts and shit
1: i think this movie is for people the way i've also been describing it is this this movie is for people who actually loved the matrix as a story mm-hmm. it's not for the people who say they liked the matrix but only say that because they want to like you know because be they film, thought it was bro. cool it's because yeah. they thought it was cool it is actually for the people who really loved the matrix whether that was like the first one matrix or whatever. movies
0: plural the
1: matrix movies plural Hmm. I, as Durian said, I used to like, I didn't like hate, hate the, hate the sequels, but I definitely didn't like them as much as the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say, like, I did rewatch them all like on the day that I w- I knew I was going to watch Resurrections and I did view them a lot more favorably um, in that light of, of watching them to prepare for Resurrections because I think my main objection <laughs> to the matrix revolutions especially was um as a kid like trinity was my favorite character and like when they killed her i was so angry that i just it kind of soured yeah soured the matrix for me but watching and neo died too
0: but like i always forget that neo dies
1: (laughs) oh yeah because i remember when matrix resurrection
0: was pronounced and i was announced
1: and I was like, no, but that's because I didn't way even they... think about Neo coming back. But that's because the way that they talk about Neo being dead in yeah. the third one is like it's not even. He's it's not, not even the dead. same. It's not it's the not same. same.
0: Um, it's because like but... Neo's like you know sacrificing himself on the cross, etc. But Trinity, but it's also like, she just, just
1: like, but dies. it's also just like the way they talk yeah. about it is like, oh, he'll come back like when yeah. he's ready, kind of yeah. thing. Like like they, they don't even talk about him being dead. They're it's just, about because like, you
0: know it's like there's always versions of the one that come mm. around every. Mm couple matrixes or so you know
1: Mm. (sighs) yes but um but no um we really loved resurrection so if you expected us to be like what a stupid movie you know maybe it is a stupid movie but it's our stupid movie okay like Mm,
0: it's not a stupid movie
1: but it's not a stupid movie it's not it's a very very clever movie and i bet that all your favorite little franchises are going to try and imitate it in 10 years time and like when they look back on the cultural probably moment they three can years trace it this back shit to is escalating like, like the problems be... that
0: the problems that matrix resurrections are addressing is only escalating further so they'll probably you will probably see this in like two years
1: Like, this is the kind of shit that I really want for Avatar 2, but that's a conversation we'll have to have for another day. When me- shout out to to Alice, who I know will be listening to this. Alice, you and me, babes, we're gonna be in that cinema. Just us, nobody
0: You mean you're, like, skipping my birthday to go watch Avatar 2? (laughs)
1: I'm sorry, but, like, your birthday every happens every year. Every time they announce
0: Avatar movie release dates, like, one of them's always on, at least one of them's always on my birthday.
1: Yeah, but see, see... And thank God, God it didn't
0: happen this year.
1: Your birthday happens every year. Avatar 2 doesn't happen every <laughs> year. Like, it, it will, happen. Though. <laughs> but it hasn't. It will, though. When it starts rolling, it will. But, like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh that's a whole conversation for another day. I really want a meta avatar.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so that's our movies. Uh you've got some miscellaneous stuff, Mary.
1: I do have some miscellaneous. I would just like to give a shout out to some various things that I enjoyed in popular culture this year that don't necessarily fit into TV shows or movies. One of those things is, um, I just love Abigail Thorne, a.k.a. Philosophy Tube. She came out, uh, this year as Trance, and I just love her coming out video so much. I watch it, like, at least once a fortnight. It's such a good video essay, and I'm, like, really happy for her. And, um... I love all her content that she's been making since coming out as trans. I think it's like, like not that it was ever bad, but it's just like so much cooler now. Um, And she's also been hosting this co-hosting this podcast that I'm obsessed with called um, kill James Bond, which is her and a bunch of other trans writers just marathoning all the James Bond movies and talking about them from a philosophical point of view. And I think it is Honestly, that podcast, like other than this podcast that, you know, we make together, like that podcast has been like keeping me held together. It is such a joy to listen to, uh, to them talk about James Bond. Uh, it is so funny. They have a thing called the pussy clock, which like (laughs) cracks me up every time. It is the time that it would, that it takes Bond from when he first makes contact with a woman to when he sleeps with her. And the current record where I'm up to and where I'm listening, like, on the pussy clock, is, like, two minutes and ten seconds. Um, So it's very fascinating to hear how that time actually gets shorter as movies go on. Anyway, um, my next point is there is this really fun TikTok account that I've been following that I think everyone should follow because it's really good called Rainbow History Class – and um it is hosted primarily by um a trans journalist called Rudy Jean. But he often like gets other TikTokers um of different uh from different countries and different ethnicities and backgrounds and orientations like depending on what the video is talking about. And on this account, like they just do videos. A lot of them are on Australian queer history, which is great. But they also do videos on Filipino queer history and, you know, certain historical figures and just little fashion trends. Like one of their most recent videos was why people call Turf Bangs Turf Bangs, which I actually found very interesting because I never really considered why Mm. they became known as Turf Bangs. But yeah, Rainbow History Class is like one of my favorite TikTok things. I really enjoy all the content from there. My last thing on, you know, random pop culture things, I just want to give a shout-out to Lil Nas for, like, blessing us with Montero, which is honestly, if not one of the best albums of the year, at least just one of the best albums ever. I love it so much. Um, Please release a version of... um
0: Industry Baby.
1: <laughs> yeah, of, please release a version of Industry Baby that doesn't have that man on it. Like, I'm begging you, Nas, I'm please. begging please and also um arlo parks is one one of my favorite uh she made one of my favorite albums this year called collapsed in sunbeams um and she's she's a lesbian and she's just makes this really awesome mellow sort of neo soul music that i really like also willow like making like the coolest pop punk album this year love to see it and I really loved Halsey's album this year. I'm amazed that they got Trent Razor and Atticus Ross to produce it. And it like, it just sounds awesome. Um, even if some of the songs like actually kind of scare me because they're about pregnancy and like pregnancy really freaks me out. Like, I'm really sorry, but it does. Um, <laughs> but that aside, like, I still, uh, I still think that, you know, gay black people are really out here making the best albums of the year this year. Mm hmm. And that's all my little pop culture miscellaneous things from the year. What were yours, Durian?
0: Uh mine uh well last last month, um, we Mary and I both watched um Hannah Gatsby's oh, new show Body of Work at the Opera House. Apparently it is getting a Netflix special. Um so yeah, look forward to that. But it's really it's really good. It's really lovely. It's the story of how she met her wife.
1: It's so good. It is so beautiful.
0: <laughs> it's so good.
1: I'm so excited to eyes. see it on Netflix with subtitles. Yeah,
0: with subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next up, oh, I loved um Japanese Breakfast's new album Jubilee. Yeah, that was my favorite piece of music for the year. My favorite album of the year other than Montero. Um I also just shout out to True Crime by Epikai um Oof. for being a for being a, a gay anthem. Um and also <laughs> And also <laughs> Mhm. And also um the the Snake Eyes movie from this year starring Henry Golding and Andrew Koji I just I thought it was really gay. Um I enjoyed it a lot. Um he he you know much like in the way that she gave her a knife um he gave him a sword. Um ah. that's that's all I have to say. Mic drop. <laughs>
1: Amazing.
0: I'm Thank so you. sorry. Um but also there... I'm not. I don't know anything about G.I. Joe. But
1: <laughs> Yeah, I don't know anything. I don't know
0: yeah, anything. The vibes. Um, um I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Um well I was looking forward to it anyway because I love like I love seeing arts. I love seeing actors with like actual martial arts backgrounds in martial arts movies. Um I also loved the Mortal Kombat movie unironically. Um <laughs> mm. for this reason, so yeah mortal Kombat and snake eyes like they were the only movies that i was like anticipating for this year that i'd been anticipating for several years that i finally got to see i'm so mad about covid taking away my chance to see snake eyes in theater um but yeah yeah i'm i'm really happy that i got to see these movies this year as well there's a few films that we're looking forward to but um i guess we'll we'll discuss them later on in the year
1: um I can't think of any off the top of my head actually. Um I am looking forward to going and seeing uncharted with my with with Will my my bestie cuz we're going to just we're going to just hate it together and I feel like that's that's going to be that's the only element of that movie that was going to bring me joy. Mm-hmm. Um it's not gay except for the fact that I'm gay and I'm going to be there doing that
0: and being a hater.
1: And being a hater, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this movie deserves to be – it doesn't deserve anything less, like, than that. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway. Um
0: thank you, li- <laughs> thank you for
1: listening. Thank you for listening,
0: everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Talk to you soon.